0: Expand your mind and enrich your world. It's time for another outstanding podcast from ICRT. We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome
1: to Taiwan This Week. A roundup of the top news stories from around the island over the past seven days... I'm Keith Manconi of ICRT News. Joining me in studio today is Gavin Phipps, also of ICRT News. Gavin, hello. Hey, good evening. And by phone, we're joined by ICRT Southern Taiwan correspondent Michael Smith. Michael.
0: How you doing there, Keith and Gavin?
1: Pretty good. Today on the show, we're taking another look at the Taipei Shanghai City Forum, now that it's wrapped up. We'll be discussing a pair of typhoon debates that are already all too relevant, now that we've got another one maybe headed our way. And some disappointing MRT news, especially for us here at ICRT. More on that at the end of the show. But first, we've got some real, honest to God, no joke, presidential platform proposals to talk about for once. Like, you know, not like the usual political wrangling or mudslinging that we usually talk about on the show. Actual, debatable, wonky policy stuff. The campaign team for KMT presidential candidate Hong Shouju ju this week came out with two proposals that got a fair amount of coverage, uh, one on corporate rages and the other on the stock market. And uh, already with that, uh, we're just two minutes into the program, and I'm already out of my depth, have no idea what to say about those two subjects. Uh, But lucky for me, we've got one Jane Rickards of The Economist on the line to bail me out and help us get a handle on what's being talked about here. So, uh, Jane, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you, Kate.
1: So starting off uh, with this wages proposal, uh, presidential candidate Hong ju is calling for an increase to the tax breaks given to corporations that raise worker salaries. Basically, the idea is that this would uh, create an incentive for companies to raise wages. Uh, but Jane, uh, this kind of incentive scheme is kind of already in place. Uh, you know, this was something like this was put into place a year ago. Uh, so what is new here?
2: Okay, well, my own- is that the Executive UN has proposed that small and medium enterprises can claim 130% of raises given to employees as deductible expenses on their taxes. But under Hoon's plan, she raises the bar. Under Hoon's plan, if we're talking about entry-level employees, um, small and medium enterprises can deduct from their taxes 200% of the value of the raises. For example, if an entry-level worker had his salary or her salary raised by NT um, $10,000, um, the company would be able to file for a rebate of NT $20,000 in the first year. Then it's 160% in the second year and 130% in the third year, which would then make it roughly on line, in line with Cabinet's proposition.
1: So what Hong Xiao ju is uh, proposing is that we uh, hike this tax incentive scheme even further. Uh, why is she saying that that's needed?
2: Well, a chronic problem in Taiwan, as I'm sure nearly everyone's aware, is of stagnating salaries. And Taiwan is caught in what economists call an upper middle income trap. But basically that means that um, it's lost its competitive edge in terms of um, export of cheap manufactured goods because other countries are catching up that it's sort of failed to sort of upgrade its industries and develop more high-value-added goods, which would help, which would promote higher incomes and more economic growth. So I think her logic is sort of more business-friendly. And um, rather than just sort of set the bar for salaries higher by raising the minimum wage, for example... This policy gives businesses flexibility. For example, um, a business, when it looks at how it might grow, it might decide, no, it's easier for me to keep salaries this low because that would suit the growth of my company more, or they could raise salaries and apply for the rebate. So it gives businesses more flexibility to grow, as opposed to across-the-board sort of order to, say, raise the minimum wage. Um, And Hong thinks that although... um, There'll be more losses in tax revenues. Um, This will be compensated by a rise in domestic consumption.
1: Okay, so uh, we've already heard uh, this week the DPP come in with uh, some criticism of this proposal. Well, not just the DPP, but from a number of places. Uh, What are the major lines of criticism on this?
3: 200% of the amount of raises to their corporate tax deductibles. 200%. That's a staggering figure.
1: Right. And (laughs) And that kind of hits uh, the tax base a little bit at a a time where uh, the the debt is mounting.
3: Well, basically, if you take 200% of the amount of raises to their corporate tax deductibles, 200% of tax deductibles from a company that employs thousands of people, that's hundreds of thousands, if not millions, if not billions of NT dollars taken out of the state coffers every year. Right.
1: And uh, Michael, is this something that's getting talked about down south?
3: It is, actually,
0: uh, but it's being discussed kind of more in a broader uh, context related to Hong's campaign, Vice Speaker Hong, she seems to be presenting some proposals that at least according to DPP spokespeople, uh, they presented themselves or they've you know, had versions of it uh, pr- proposed several times in the past already. So one thing they're leveling at her is you know charges of like, well, this is not an original idea. But secondly, some commentators down here have commented on the fact that The way she's presenting these proposals sort of sound very pro-business and that's good for, you know, those in the business community. But if you're not in that, if you're more of the the average Joe sort of person, some of these proposals are coming across a little bit technical and they're not really, you know, ringing or resonating with the, the, the local person. So here in the greater Kaohsiung area, people have been commenting on, well, you know, how does this affect me? How will this actually raise my salary in any way? And although we we all accept that Hong is trying to come up with a proposal that would possibly help raise salaries and stagnant wages, it appears that her opponent, uh, main opponent, Tsai Ing-wen, is presenting similar policies but phrasing them in a different way that sounds a little bit more um, accessible to the local person. So that's... What's been discussed down here.
1: All right, so that's what uh, people have been saying about this uh, tax proposal. Let's uh, move quickly on to the next one, uh, which is changes to the capital gains tax. So here we're talking about uh, taxing stock trades. And once again, uh, similar to what uh, Michael was saying a second ago, uh, there are already some rules in place here uh, that are kind of similar to what Hong is talking about. Uh, So, Jane, uh, what is Hong proposing that is new? Well,
2: it's basically a cut. Because under the current plan, as I understand it, there's a 0.3% tax on transactions. And in addition, there's plans for a capital gains tax of 0.1% on transactions or 15% of um, capital gains. Now, that is so unpopular, it's been delayed to 2018. And just as some background, I could say that... um, Capital gains tax has always been very unpopular in Taiwan. And the last time it was they tra- Taiwan tried to impose it, um, which was in 1988, the Taiex fell by its minimum permitted limit for nine consecutive days before the government withdrew the plan. So it's very unpopular. And Hung's pr- proposition is to levy an 0.25% tax on stock transactions, which is lower than the 0.3%. And then a 0.05% tax on stock transaction gains. So this is effectively not a tax hike. Whereas in 2018, you would have had the 0.3% tax plus a 0.1% tax on capital gains. So that represented a tax hike. So while she's imposing a capital gains tax of sorts, it doesn't represent um, a raise in taxes as the plan which would go into 2018 would.
1: Right, so uh, based on what you're saying, it sounds like all that we're really talking about here is... Uh, breaking an existing tax into two parts, getting rid of a a 2018 tax that hasn't been put in place yet. So, you know, like you said, uh, kind of a tax cut. Uh, And Gavin, uh, it sounds like uh, business groups are actually in favor of this. It sounds kind of trader-friendly.
3: Well, the the Taiwan Stock Exchange Corporation came out and it actually said that it believes that Hong's revised version of the capital gains tax could boost turnover of the local equity market by a staggering 10%. So they're saying that would help uh, trading a little bit. It would help trading. And of course, her other proposal, which is, of course, removing the exemption for foreign institutional investors from paying the capital gains tax, she's called for this to be scrapped, saying that the exemption is unfair to local investors, which while the obviously the Taiwan Stock Exchange saying it could increase turnover by 10% might not be Joe Blow's understanding or might, Joe Blow might not be able to understand what that means. They will understand that if foreign, foreign institutional investors are exempt from paying the tax as the government has wanted them to be, and she comes out and says, this is unfair, local investors have to pay it and foreigners don't have to pay it, so everyone's going to pay it across the board. This is, I mean, local people will understand that, if, even if they don't understand the figures involved. Good point.
1: Uh, But, uh, of course, once again, we are talking about uh, perhaps a reduction in taxes, which would uh, be another hit to the tax uh, base. Uh, And uh, so, Jane, I want to get your take on this. Uh, Michael was saying that, you know, these are kind of uh, cold, uh, hard, policy, wonky proposals that we're hearing so far. Uh, What do you take away from, uh, you know, uh, Hong's statements this week? What what, what does it say to you about the kind of campaign that she's running?
2: Announcements are very indicative of Hung's personality as opposed to Tsai Ing-wen's personality because Hung's always very definite about things and has very definite, substantial plans and ideas. I mean, quite often Taiwanese don't agree with them, but she's, you know, she speaks out with substance, um, whereas Tsai is sort of more open-ended. I think Hung is trying to show that, definitely trying to show she's pro-business. And I think this can mainly be seen in her plans for um, wage increases. As i mentioned before, it's very, very flexible towards business, so business can sort of make a decision about where they want to raise wages and get a tax rebate or keep wages where they are, um, which gives them more flexibility. But at the same time, she's also addressing problems that... Chronic problems that face the average person, such as low wages, which is probably the most fundamental economic and social problems ordinary people face in Taiwan these days. So she's trying to be please all with a business focus.
1: All right, Jane, thank you for that. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you, Keith.
1: Okay, and uh, I believe there was a bit of campaign news down south as well, Michael.
0: Yeah, well, uh, over Sunday, the DPP president for Canada at Taiwan came down and unveiled five reforms. And, um, you know, I might be inclined to agree with Jane that... uh, Uh, both candidates are are possibly doing their best to keep things as vague as possible and trying to appeal to as many people as possible. But Ty did make five points that she said she's going to push for during her presidency if she's elected, including improving the job market. Again, it's not super specific, but improving the job market, providing affordable housing, long-term care services, and daycare services. So, Again, they might not be the most specific type of uh, proposals. They might not be all that wonky. They might even be wishy-washy, as some uh, have described them. But they do have a certain appeal to, (laughs) as uh, Gavin called them, the average Joe Blow. And uh, at least down here in the South, they are going over very well, especially the uh, affordable housing thing, which is something that's on a lot of people's minds in the South.
3: sound like the devil's advocate here. Of course, the DPP might be being clever about this, because, of course, Hong touting her numbers some six months before the election people are going to forget the numbers
0: But, you but make a but, good point gavin but, yeah but, but, i mean, but, people but, seem to go more for sound bites and for you know that than than actual numbers because you're right uh, by the time january comes around we will have forgotten if it's 0.03 or 0.1 or the the rest right yeah so the dp
3: could come out with the numbers closer to ballot day basically i mean i don't know if that's what they're doing but it does appear that way
0: Right. Well, um, as well as coming down to the south and uh, making those proposals, she also walked around several farms and uh, dressed up in haka things. So, yeah, we are definitely into the, uh, the baby kissing phase of the campaign already, <laughs> if that's just what I can call it.
1: All right. So uh, finally starting to take shape this campaign. Uh, and uh, up next, Taipei Mayor Ko wen is back in Taiwan following his three-day trip to Shanghai. We he headed a delegation of 130 city officials and business people to participate in the Taipei Shanghai Forum. Now, we gave a bit of a preview to the event last week. Uh, of course, the run-up to the annual municipal exchange this year was somewhat fraught with controversy after Mayor Ka made it clear that he does not accept the 1992 consensus. That was all kind of patched over and they decided to go forward with the event anyway uh, america got to go and he went and you know now he's back so uh up till now we've been focusing almost exclusively on the cross straight angle of all of this but you know there was some actual uh, agreements signed policies discussed presents exchanged some you know some actual substance here uh what's stuck out to you this week gavin his shoes. His shoes, yeah, his tennis shoes. Of course, he
3: wore sneakers to the official meeting with the mayor of Shanghai.
1: Very but, Koenja thing to do.
3: But I, I defended him on that one. I said he's just got off an aeroplane. Maybe he thinks sneakers are better to wear on an aeroplane than dress shoes, and I totally agree with him on that one. Or
1: maybe he's just Koenja and he does what he
3: wants. And basically. But he did, of course, he, they did sign two agreements, and the two main agreements were on electronic ticketing technology. Of course, Taiwan's got the great ticketing systems in the convenience stores here, where you can buy a ticket... To from playing golf to going to a rock concert. In a convenience store, which is, I guess Shanghai might be eyeing such a similar system, of course. And we've also got the yo-yo car in Taipei, the swipe-as-you-go card. And the other agreement... So you if, could
1: actually use it in Shanghai would be the well, idea no,
3: there. I, I, presu- I don't know if you can go to Shanghai and use the yo-yo car, but I presume that Shanghai might be eyeing how Taipei has sort of u- oh. is, is worked in the yo-yo car and all these systems I see, I into, the, into its city running. Got it. And, of course, the other agreement allowed for civil servant exchanges. To sound like a complete pessimist, um, I can't see what a civil servant that works in Taiwan could learn from a civil servant that le- works in Shanghai under a one-party system.
1: I'm sure they had lots of interesting civil servant conversations all week. Uh, I'm sure it was scintillating. Uh, okay, so that was kind of more the concrete stuff, uh, substance that came out of it. Did cross rate issues come up at all this week?
0: Well, well the, the one uh, thing that people were commenting down here uh, before he left was how they might— address him, and he did get addressed as Mayor Ko of Taipei rather than, you know, uh, leader or top uh, whatever. So he was addressed in the appropriate manner. So that was one um, thing that, you know, we got off of our chest. That's done. He's officially Mayor Ko of Taipei. And Gavin, what what are the political things that they get off their chest?
3: They had a dinner, though, didn't they? Remember, they had a dinner party Tuesday evening, which was hosted by the mayor, Kerr, the Taipei mayor. He hosted a dinner in Shanghai, but the Shanghai mayor didn't go. And, of course, there was a big sort of media storm about this in Taipei, and a Taipei city government spokesman called Sidney Lin was forced to explain that the party's guests were Taiwan VIPs who participated in the forum and officials from Shanghai, but the dinner was aimed at the... Shanghai Deputy Mayor Wang Tiehui, who actually was the city's representative at the dinner. So, Shanghai Mayor Yang Shong didn't boycott the dinner. He just didn't go because his deputy was the representative. So, And it
0: appears that uh, Mayor Ke managed to give and receive gifts without making any faux pas this time around.
3: <laughs> well, of course, the painting was from a school child. So, if the Chinese bloke could sort of dissed the painting he was basically dissing a school child
0: (laughs) (laughs) and it featured a white pigeon and a Qing dynasty terracotta soldier so Mm -hmm. yeah pretty good
3: but, of course, the, I mean, the main thing, at least that was the meetings, of course, and the other stuff that went wrong. But, of course, the main thing Kerr did was open a sort of an existing can of worms about the history of the uh, sort of the Sino-Japanese War and the Second World War. When he visited a famous warehouse in Shanghai and he asked for both sides of the Taiwan Strait to understand history and look for the accurate view of history and he turned round and he said that China's fighting of Japanese forces during the Second World War was mostly led by nationalist forces under Chiang Kai-shek. And, of course, that's being seen as a response to Beijing's claims that communist forces did, in fact, play a major role in the Second Sino-Japanese War. Which, of course, we've had other things about that this week, haven't we, Eric?
0: Yeah, well, you know the saying that uh, history is written by the, the winners, right? And... Uh... Apparently, as yes, history is being slightly rewritten, even in uh, movie form, because a movie that was released uh, recently called the Cairo Declaration uh, featured, it didn't actually necessarily show uh, Chairman Mao at the Cairo Declaration itself, but it showed a lot more of him and put a lot more of him into a historical situation in which he was not involved. Uh, Chiang Kai-shek was, in fact, sitting there with uh, Winston Churchill and uh, FDR when the Cairo Declaration was made. And uh, as far as we know, uh, Mao was uh, on the, the trail in Yunnan at that point. So the fact that this movie came out with this blatant just sort of, it, even if it wasn't a, a an actual lie, it was a bit of a, a misdirection. And even uh, Taiwan's president, Ma Ying-jeou, said that the movie was a joke. So this historical rewriting thing is beginning to irk a few people.
1: Uh, And uh, interesting to see Mayor Cohen put in his two cents there. Okay, well, we have uh, definitely hit our limit for political stories for the day. I'm sure that uh, our listeners could use a bit of a break, so we're going to give it to them. Uh, We will be right back after this with more news from Taiwan This Week. All right, welcome back to Taiwan This Week, ICRT's weekly roundup of news from around the island over the past seven days. Jumping right back on into things, Goni is the silly word of the week, currently striking fear into all of our collective hearts. The typhoon going by that name is slowly traipsing its way across the northern Philippines today, and forecasters project it will hang a hard right and sweep past Taiwan's east coast this weekend, bringing more wind, more rain. Only two weeks after we got much the same treatment from Typhoon Sodalore. Gavin, uh, so it's still a ways away, but uh, what are the best forecasts saying so far?
3: The best forecasts are saying, basically, um, by the time our listeners hear the radio edit of this, the typhoon will be sweeping along the east coast and gradually moving up in a sort of a northerly direction, but moving in a north-easterly direction towards southern Japan. However, the storm is going to affect the east coast this weekend, basically. And as we record this, weather patterns across Green Island and Orchid Island are being very affected, with heavy winds and strong seas.
1: All right, so we're just going to have to wait and see. Meanwhile, in addition to the rain uh, that Typhoon Soteler brought, it also brought a couple of controversies with it. Uh, and now that Goni is on its way, they have surged back to center stage. Uh, let's start with the muddy water issue. Of course, uh, Taipei and Wen-Ja took a lot of heat for the decision to continue delivering water to city residents, despite the fact that much of it was too muddy for safe drinking. Uh, Gavin, what have the critics been saying?
3: Well, the critics have been saying, my tap water's yellow. <laughs> I mean, Ed's what else can you say, really? I personally, and I live in Da'an District in Taipei, My tap water was not yellow, and my tap water was not affected. The only thing that affected me was the fact that I couldn't buy any bottled water from any convenience stores or my local supermarket.
1: Because it was all sold out. Because
3: every other bugger was buying it, basically. (laughs) Right. Uh, and, and, And so is there a new plan in place? There is. There is indeed, Keith. Of course, Taipei government took a lot of flack for doing it, for obviously releasing the water when it probably shouldn't have released the water. But water officials are now that say that a new standard operating procedure for water supplies has been introduced ahead of typhoons. And that service, and water services rather, will be suspended when turbidity levels reach 12,000 degrees.
1: Okay. So we got a new plan for uh, Goni if if it goes that way.
3: Yes, and officials say that the public will be told within three hours of this system being put into place. Okay. And official estimates say that one million households will be affected twenty four hours after the water supply service is halted, and resumption of regular water services will take place some twenty four to forty eight hours later. I
0: found the whole thing kind of funny, Keith, because uh, they were saying on the news, like, uh, the water in Taipei is, uh, you know, not uh, uh, suitable for drinking. And I was trying to think of anybody that I knew who actually drank Taipei tap water.
3: An interesting thing about that, while we might not understand turpidity levels reaching 12,000, yeah, so the, if, if the, if the turpidity levels reach 12,000 from now on, they'll cut the water off, basically, yeah. But an interesting thing during Typhoon Sodala, which of course clobbered North Taiwan on August the 8th, the reports say that turpidity levels were over 30,000 degrees. Uh-huh. So you're talking very, very muddy water there.
1: Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't even really yellow water. It was brown in some <laughs> cases. All right, well, uh, so that's something to look forward to. Now our water will maybe get turned off occasionally. Uh, but there was another issue stirred up by this typhoon, that being the labor issue. Apparently a number of labor groups uh, went out yesterday to uh, draw attention to poll results showing that uh, something like 88% of respondents uh, at, at, at uh, department stores said that they were required to work on the Typhoon Day. Gavin, tell us about that.
3: Yes, labor groups this week called on department stores, which, of course, if you've lived in Taiwan, especially Taipei or Kaohsiung or Taichung, you all know that when the general public is given a Typhoon Day holiday and it's not quite as rainy as officials hoped it would be, everyone flocks... To the department stores. Nothing else to do? For something to do, basically. Well, apparently labour groups this week said, hang on a minute, This sending people to work in department stores on typhoon days is just not on, basically, <laughs> because it's incredibly dangerous. Yeah. And they said um, this labour union, the name of which I forget, I do apologise, the labour union people, but they conducted a poll, and it said 88% of department store sales staff were asked to work on typhoon holidays. And of those only between 11 and 18 percent received any compensation for working on typhoon days and they also said that some staff who failed to turn up for work on the day they were requested to work on a typhoon day or simply got to work late because they couldn't get a taxi were fined up to 2000 nt
0: the name of that labor union was actually youth labor union 95 oh okay and their president was uh, Kata Cho, according to the, what I found here. And she's arguing that actually the fault for this lies with the government because the Ministry of Labor Standards and Equal Employment has not legally designated typhoon days as official holidays. Therefore, department stores cannot be fined for requiring staff to show up for work. She says... She wants the ministry to change the designation and establish labor inspection task force to monitor monitor rather stores and make sure that they are providing a safe environment. But they need to change the law first. This is confusing. Both Gavin and I actually don't really understand who is forced to go to work at what time on what storm. It's that confusing. So, if it's that bad for those of us who, who, who look at the, the, the rules and the news and all the rest of it, imagine for what it's like for, for the, the, the counter worker who, you know, is trying to figure out whether they should risk their life and go to work uh, when her daily salary is 700 NT, one of the employees told the, the Taipei Times.
3: Of course, it is a double-edged sword, this argument, because, of course, a couple of typhoons ago when Taipei City actually called a typhoon day, and, of course, it was quite pleasant outside, (laughs) it wasn't the public that were complaining about having the day off, it was the company owners that were complaining about having their staff not come to work that day.
0: Jing toi liang man, as they say in Chinese, between a rock and a hard place on this one.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess uh the, the, the really the bottom line point here is that in this case, uh the law is not on the side of these complaining workers, and uh we're we're gonna have to sort it out just to figure out what does a typhoon day really mean. There you go. But uh we're gonna have to move on and go to our last story for today, which is another delay for an MRT project here in Taiwan. The Transport Ministry has announced that the line connecting Taoyuan Airport to the MRT system will not be ready for operation this year, as had been promised to us.
0: And I think uh, Gavin and I, uh, or maybe perhaps you as well, we've, we've all been here a long time, we are absolutely not surprised.
1: <laughs> no surprise there. Although it was, I mean, it was quite tantalizing, especially for those of us uh, that work at ICRT, and uh, this line runs right beh- uh, next to our office, and we've been viewing the, the test trains that have been running along the track uh, this whole year now, and so it kind of looked like it was going to be ready to open... Any day now, but uh, Gavin, uh, it sounds like this week uh, there was some uh, kind of mishaps when they were trying to do some of this testing.
3: Yeah, the Ministry of Transport came out and said the project has been experiencing software design glitches that have contributed to the instability of the line's signalling system, and it would no longer be ready by the end of this year. <laughs> that because is my par- surprise Apparently, The Apple Daily actually covered this t- The day before the government came out and said this But apparently they were doing something At the Taipei train station Which is the terminal station for this MRT line in, in Taipei And apparently it was affected Due to the typhoon Going back to the typhoon Parts of the, the line there were in fact flooded And mm-hmm. the Apple Daily story Described them as becoming a swimming pool Rather than an MRT station Right,
0: and the uh, MRT Corporation is building that. They said that they will have to look into why several of the stations themselves actually flooded and why the pumps did not pump out water. So there seems to be some significant problems with this line, uh, and it's really unfortunate because, you know, every other major city that I can think of uh, has a, a decent airport line that connects to the main city, and you don't have to worry about You know, if you're going to miss your flight due to traffic or whatever else. But we've been sitting here now uh, in Taiwan for, what is it, Gavin, a a decade-plus with this line, and it's just
3: not going anywhere. It's very unfortunate. Construction actually began on it in 2006. Okay.
1: So a decade-minus, but close to a decade. Yeah. uh,
3: (laughs) On the
0: other side of the island, down here in the south, we are making very good progress, actually, on, on building the next MRT line, The thing that they are constructing currently is a tunnel that goes underneath the Love River. And it's actually more difficult to build this tunnel because of the mud and the way it is than it is to build the tunnel that connects between Sanchong and Taipei for the uh, uh, airport MRT line. So they've been doing this very interesting way of building a tunnel by making a little bit, covering it up, pumping out the water, making a little bit, you know, and they're stretching from both sides and... They've connected the tunnel, and it should be ready to go by 2017. So down here, the uh, infrastructure projects are are moving a a bit more smoothly, would be fair to say.
3: That's quite interesting, because the Love River is actually not as wide as the river. No, not at all, exactly. That's why. It's a a bit of a surprise, but
0: the mud itself and the way the river is, plus they are doing some work on the river itself, uh, some dredging and some, you know, various other work. None of that can stop. And uh, the river has to continue flowing, obviously. So it's been a a challenge for engineers, but they've successfully managed to surmount these challenges. And even though, like you said, it's only, what, like uh, 30 feet across, maybe, or or, or, or more. But, uh, yeah, it's been very difficult, but it's okay.
1: All right. Well, we are very happy for you and your functioning infrastructure (laughs) projects up here. All right. Anything's out on the lighter side for our podcast listeners? Uh, Today we are talking about... The McDonald's employee that has taken the internet by storm, Wei Wei, and uh, stories like this uh, come up every now and again in Taiwan. Some, uh, usually it's a, some sort of a, a service person that uh, gets really famous. Whether they be male or, or, or female, you know they're they're doing service industry jobs. They have pin up good looks and, they, and they, they, they just end up taking the internet by storm. I don't know. I, th- this happens every now and then. I'm not sure uh,
3: exactly uh, how to frame this one. There's a right- choice, Keith. We have a choice of ways to frame this story. We could take the Daily Mail from the UK, <laughs> which said this. Is this McDonald's most attractive worker or the weirdest? Fans flock to fast food chain in Taiwan just to see goddess waitress with doll-like features who some claim isn't even real. <laughs> so mysterious. Yeah, and if you read the comments
0: on some of these Western uh, media outlets that have reported on the story, you know, most of the, the commenters are making really nasty remarks, of, you know, oh, you guys like pedophiles, and you know da. But um, if you look at some of the Asian uh, comments, or, you know, Japan, Taiwan, other, they see this as part of the kawaii trend, and some have even argued that Westerners are over-sexualizing the whole idea of kawaii, and even if she is deemed attractive and if people want to go to the McDonald's and take pictures of her and the rest, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're lusting after her. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but uh, that's what they're claiming. So it's very much a cultural difference as to whether you see this as disgusting or innocent and cute.
3: Right. Well, the actual worker herself, Wei Han Shu, or Shu Han Wei, depending which way you read it and depending which country you're in and which publication you're reading, she says she was surprised by all the attention she's been receiving around the world for the way she looks. If she is real. If she's real, of course. That's the, da- that's <laughs> hey, the if daily... If you look da- at pictures
0: of her, you can understand why people would say she might not be real. She, <laughs> she really does have a, a, a doll face, uh, for lack of a better term.
3: Right. Anyway, she, she apparently has 41,700 followers on her Instagram account now and she wrote earlier this week on said instagram account that in these few days i received a lot of messages from people that had different backgrounds i was shocked because in my point of view it is just an old news in taiwan i would like to say thank you to all the attention thank you so much to concern about me <laughs> i'm sorry about the english that's what it said yeah <laughs> I I
0: need guan xing, right in mm. chinese so but, that's, that's a translation but an
3: interesting abc which is obviously not the Daily Mirror or the Daily Mail or the Sun or the tabloid, ABC ran a piece about this. That's the, obviously an American broadcasting corporation. It had a spokesman for McDonald's on there, and it said the, the spokesman for McDonald's told ABC that McDonald's Taiwan has been organising costume parties at its restaurants since 2012 to build a fun work environment. Both sales staff and managers are encouraged to show their creativity with their outfits, and every year these festivities have created much buzz and fun, even with our customers. All right, so there it's just a fun little event. It is now. This is the interesting part with the ABC story. <laughs> Instead of just stopping there, ABC decided to talk to a, an expert about this. Make it
1: into a think piece.
3: Make it in, in, for the for the intelligent readers, obviously, <laughs> rather than your loutish tabloid readers. Now, I shan't name the individual but apparently they're an English and Asian American studies professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or Madison, Wisconsin. Now, when asked about this by the American Broadcasting Corporation, they said the employee's following was quite bizarre. The expert went on to say, while colloquially we think of fetishism as evoking women's objectification, this case of fetishism also evokes Freudian notions of the uncanny. We feel unease. When we're unsure if something is alive.
0: <laughs> That's the uncanny, famous Uncanny Valley, right?
3: That is. And this is talking about her doll-like features. And this expert went on to say that fetishism is also about substituting the desired object for the person. But I do also think that the Asian part of this story is interesting. Almost as if McDonald's is very comfortable with the sexualization of Asian women. Something that they would not dare to do in the United States.
1: So they they they're basically taking the hyper-intellectualized version of those nasty comments that uh Michael was talking about a second ago.
3: Although with their last comment, Hooters. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that last comment.
1: Boom. Hooters US, your move.
3: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: Uh all right, well we're going to leave this poor girl alone. I'm sure that she's uh, enjoying her 15 minutes of fame or at least I hope she is. Uh and uh you know, you can you can Check out what all the buzz is about online. I'm sure our listeners can find these photos for themselves quite easily. (laughs) Yes. Uh, But we're going to end it there. You can send us your thoughts on the week's major stories on the Facebook page or on our blog. You'll also be able to find this program online at the ICRT website and on iTunes. If you are listening through iTunes, please take a second to rate and review the show. It lets us know what you're thinking and helps other people discover the program. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I'm Keith Manconi, joined by Gavin Phipps. Gavin. Yeah, bye-bye. And Michael Smith. Michael.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan This Week.
0: Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.